I've really been loving those songs this morning. This morning we're actually looking um, at the fruits of the Spirit. We're looking at the first fruit. And the first fruit which is found in the passage, um, well, let's read the passage first. It's Galatians 5, and verse 22 and 23. And it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So that's what we're going to be looking at in the mornings, just over the next series of weeks, as I share with you as I preach. And we're going to be looking through these fruits of the Spirit. So in other words, the fruit of the Spirit is something which we show as we grow deeper with God, as we connect with God, and as we walk with God. This is something that should be in our lives. So as you walk with God and as you listen to his voice, you should have more love. You should have more joy. You should have more peace, more forbearance, more kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You should be abounding in these things. It's something that should be taking over your life. Because it says, against such things there's no law. And what it's saying by that statement is, you know what? These things, there's as much of them as you want. There's as much of them as you desire. There's as much joy in the Lord as you desire. There's as much love. There's as much self-control. There's as much faithfulness. There's as much goodness as you desire. The thing is, how much do we desire these things in our life? When's the last time you ever sat down and went, I wish I had more self-control. Lord, give me more self-control. I'm sure we've all been there at some point. I'm like that whenever some Egypt driver cuts me up. I'm like, Lord, give me more self-control so I don't blow my horn at this guy again. You know, the thing is, we lack, in, we lack in all things because the thing is, are we perfect people? No, but we're meant to strive to be. It encourages us be, to be holy because I am holy. That's what God encourages us. And you see, today we're starting with love. God, let me know more of your love. May I know more and more and more of your love. When, have you ever thought, you know what, I wish I knew more of the love of God? Because it's, it's good to know what we know, but how much more is there that we don't yet know, that we don't yet understand, that we can't yet comprehend? And you see, the thing is, I could jump straight into the most obvious passage when it talks about love in the Bible. I'm sure somebody in here could tell me that passage. What's, what's the most obvious love passage in the Bible? Pardon? Well, oh, I wasn't thinking. I was thinking more of a passage rather than a verse. You know, you've got, it's read basically at every wedding. Yes, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And we're going to get to that later today. So that's the most obvious passage when you think about love in, in, in the context of God and the Bible. But actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at John and look through a few short passages in John. And we'll read a few verses about what Jesus actually teaches his disciples about love. And we're going to start in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, it actually starts with quite a weird saying. And it says, a new command I give you. And now, 
most of us don't think that loving each other is a new command. But to these people at this time, it was actually it was quite countercultural to love everyone. It's easy to love people who love you. He does say that in another passage. He said, you know, it's easy to love people who, who love you. It's easy to love people who get on with you, who bless you, but it's so much harder to love your enemies. So Jesus turns around in verse 34 and he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so, that, or so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So Jesus gives this disciple, these disciples a new commandment. It's, it's a new thing to follow. It's a new way of life to follow, to love one another. Now to us in our context, in our age, it seems obvious that we're supposed to love one another. You see, we are meant to, and we're commanded to love one another We've read that commandment. We've grew up with that commandment. But to these disciples, this was a new concept. This was a new way of thinking. To not just love those who who love you, not just love those who you get on with, but love one another full stop, no matter what. See, do we care that much about the people around us? Can we honestly say that we do love one another? So, you know, do you love me as much as you should? Do I love you as much as I should? Do we really care Because the thing is, if we really care, how much will that impact our lives? And how much will that impact the way we live our lives? It transforms everything if we truly love one another. And you see, people in the world won't understand this kind of love because it goes so far above and beyond the social norm. You know, so people who come in brokenhearted and downtrodden and really seeking they'll see that there's a different kind of love in our lives, in the way we treat each other, in the way we get on with one another, in the way we care about one another. Like I was overwhelmed, you know, just watching the prayer group yesterday as you were all, uh, and over the last few days, praying for Naomi and just commenting and just saying, oh, we're thinking about you, we're praying for you. It's just overwhelming to think there's so many people caring about, you know, my little daughter who's just sitting there just trying not to scratch and trying not to, you know, make these things worse. You know, because that's the way it gets on. So whenever we really love one another, whenever we really care about one another, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we have attitudes. And it seems true whenever we think about our relationship with God. The more we really love God, the more we really care about God, the more it will transform how we think about God. The thing is, we can get to that point of revelation where we go, you know what, I know I need forgiveness of sins. You know, when we think about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. We can think about that and that can drive us to a point of repentance. But you know what, that needs to be a daily thing. We need to be daily coming to God and daily repenting him because he loves us. It's not that, it's not that you know, He loved us long before we were lovable, long before we were able to be lovable. And in the same way, we're supposed to reflect that in our lives. We're supposed to let that show in our lives. We're supposed to let God flow through us. If we go flick over to the next chapter, John 14, verses 20 and 21, it says, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, And you are in me, and I am in you. 
Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. See, do we look at what God says in the Bible and do we apply it immediately? Do we make sure that we do it? Do we look at it as a command from God? Or do we take it more as gentle guidelines and gentle advice and good ways of living? How much do we actually let the Word of God impact our lives and transform the way we think about ourselves and think about what the situations we walk into? So when the Bible says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, how often do you actually do that? If somebody says something negative to you or a bad word for you, how often do you actually go, God bless them, God speak to them, God transform them? Because that's what the Bible says we should do. It says it's like heaping coals of uh, burning coals in their head when you do that. And the coals will set a fire to them and burn away the dross. That's what we're meant to do. You see, we're meant to actually pray for people who persecute us. We're not meant to love those who just love us. We're meant to love everybody in spite of that. So how often do we do that with all the commandments God gives? We could spend weeks and weeks, obviously, we could spend our whole lifetime going through the Bible and gleaning about what the Bible says about how we're meant to treat others and actually allow it to transform our lives. Or you could just read it as a good set of guidelines, as stuff I might apply whenever I feel like it. Is that what we do sometimes with the Word of God? Is that what we do sometimes with, I like that bit, so I'll do that, but I don't like that bit, so I don't think I'll do that bit. You know, so whenever, whenever somebody says, you know, you know, oh, you can pray for healing and healing will happen. You know, it's in the Bible, you can see it. Do we actually then go and apply that? Do we actually go and apply for, and do we actually just go and say, you know, be healed in the name of Jesus? Or do we just go, actually, that's good. Oh, I pray for Maisie, Lord, you know Maisie, such and such, you know, this is wrong with her, that's wrong with her. Or do we just apathetically sort of try and apply it in our own way? Or do we do very simply what the Bible says to do in faith? Go and heal the sick in the name of Jesus. It doesn't say go and deliberate about it. It says go and heal them. And it's a, it's a simple thing. It's a simple thing about the love of God. If we love God, we'll love what he loves. We'll care about what he cares about. We'll allow the love of God to permeate every bit of us. You know, whenever you first meet somebody who's in young love, you can't get them to stop talking about it. You can't get them to stop talking about the girl or boy that they've fallen in love with. It just oozes out of them. And no matter what way you try and steer the conversation, it always comes back to that person they're in love with, doesn't it? I'm sure we've all met or even been that person that's young and in love. But do we lose that? Have you lost that in your own walk with God? That ability to just draw everything back to God and go, oh, God's love is so amazing. Have you lost the fervor and the passion and the fire of God's love in your life? Because what does it say? Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So if you really love God, you'll keep his commands. You'll keep what he asks you to do. You know, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. Okay, God, I'll go and do it. And then you go and apply it in faith and go, wow, God, look at it. I'm applying what you told me to do, and this is what's happening. Lives are getting transformed around me. 
Then he goes further than that and says, the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. I don't know about you, but I love to see a revelation of God. I love to see a revelation of Jesus. I love to see his presence when it falls in a room and how it transforms the room. When it, You know when God's present. You know when there's an overpowering presence of God because that's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to show himself. But the thing is, if we're not following what he asks us to follow, how can he show himself to us? We end up knowing about him rather than knowing him. This is the challenge that we all must do if we want to see God. And then John 15, from verse 12, he goes back and he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Do we do that? Do we truly, can we honestly sit here and say that we really love each other as much as we should, as much as we do? See, Jesus tells us, you know what, I've given you everything you need to live this life. I've given you everything you need to survive in life, to actually go through life and thrive in life and bear fruit as my witnesses. He says, I've chosen you and appointed you and sent you, so why won't you go? All of us are appointed to go. All of us are priests in, the, in God's eyes. All of us are people that carry his banner, carry his love, and we can go and show the transformation God can do in life. There's no special qualifications needed other than love God. Accept the love of God. You see, Jesus changed things up. He didn't call us just to be servants. He didn't call us to serve him. He called us to be his friends. He called us to know his business. Because if we were servants, we wouldn't have any right to know why we were being asked to do what we're doing. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't call us servants. God calls us friends. God draws us to that. Yes, we're meant to serve him. And out of the deep burning love that we have for him, we serve him. We don't do it out of obligation, as we know. We've looked at that before. We don't serve God out of obligation. We serve him out of obligation overflowing heart of love because you know what without well actually we'll get to that in a minute you know why we shouldn't do it without love the thing is we're supposed to be so full of the love of God that we just see a need we meet a need we see God we see a, a place God can do something we just go in faith and we apply it we know God's business the thing is he does call us more like bond servants which is when we choose to submit ourselves to God. And a bond servant chooses to stay under a master, rather, so they're free, but they're choosing to submit to the master and choosing to follow the master's ways and the master's plans. The Bible talks very clearly about that. 
So yes, we are servants of God, but in a choosing way, not in a demanding way, the way a slave would be. See, we simply must listen to this commandment and let it sink into us. Love each other. Love. Whenever Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what God... So Jesus is saying that the most important thing is love. We have to let love abound in us. We have to let it flow through us. We have to let it transform the world around us. And we'll only do that by obeying what God says to obey. And not letting other things influence that. Not letting our own fears even influence that. We submit to the love of God. We allow God to overflow in us. And how do we truly do that? By saying we're sorry for the wrong things. By getting rid of anything which is a stumbling block. And saying, God, come and have your way. And allow God's love to bubble up inside of us. Because there's no end to the amount of love of God that we can feel, that we can hear, that we can know, that we can know the truth in our hearts and our minds. Now, it's, look, it's not always about feeling. That's one thing I do want to reassure you about. Sometimes you don't always have to feel the love of God to know that you're loved by God. Because the problem is, sometimes we're a roller coaster, aren't we? One minute we're on top of the world, the next minute we're hitting rock bottom. You know, oh, something amazing has just happened, oh, brilliant. Oh, no, I just crashed my car. And, that's it. and then you feel like you're at the end of things. Oh, this brilliant thing's happened, there's brilliant possibilities. Oh, no, it just got, the rug just got pulled from under your feet. And, I think, and if we just let our feelings lead us on these pathways, we'll be a bundle of emotions. But this is where we know the truth, that the love of God is always there. It's a constant. We are loved whether we've, whether we've failed or whether we're a success. God loves us as much as a failure as we are as a success. Whenever we think things have gone really well, God loves us just as much as whenever we feel like everything is about to go wrong or has just went wrong. And that's the beauty of God's love. It's a constant. It doesn't rely on us. It doesn't rely on our feelings. It doesn't rely on us feeling good about it. It relies on the word of God. And he says, perfect love casts out fear. His perfect love will cast out any fear you have. So we can come to him this morning and celebrate. And then we get to 1 Corinthians 13. So in the light of knowing that God's love will never fail us, we get to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter as it's nicknamed. And it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So you know what? You can be speaking in tongues your whole life. You can even be speaking in all these heavenly languages or even in many, many human languages. And you know what? You can just be a noise if you don't know the love of God, if the love of God doesn't transform it. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. That's how important it is. You can do the many miracles. You can do as many wonders. You can understand as much as you can possibly understand. The greatest scholars in the world, look at them. They know so much. But what do they really know? 
nothing. They don't know the love of God. If they don't know the love of God, it's, it's worthless. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You can be the most generous person in the world. You can give everything you have away. You can give your whole life away for good causes and end up with nothing because you don't have the love of God. I was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago and that's exactly what I said. And they were like, oh, I'll have to go and think about that then because they thought being good was good. And I'm like, yeah, it is good. But if that's your aim, <laughs> you're not getting anything. You don't know the love of God. You don't live your life with God. So what is love? Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, or sorry, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now least three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You see the correlation there? It tells you what love isn't. You know, love won't, love won't seek to gain itself. Love won't seek to gain its own traction. Love won't seek to actually overthrow things and overpower things. But what will it do? It will love. It will persevere. It will trust. It will protect. It won't rejoice whenever things go wrong anywhere. It won't rejoice in wrong. Even if it's against a football team you don't like, Kelvin, it'll never rejoice in wrong. <laughs> But it's easy to rejoice whenever things go wrong for others, especially, you know. But the thing is, whenever, love won't do that. True love will never do that. True love will never rejoice whenever things are going wrong. But it will always protect. It will always delight and rejoice in the truth. It will always trust. It will always hope. It will always persevere. It won't fail. I really hope that we will know the love of God this morning in our lives that we will even look at our lives and go, God, where is your love thriving in my life? And God, where is your love weak in my life? Where is your love not abounding in my life? Where am I struggling to show the love of God in my life? We're supposed to be a personal reflection. It does say that in verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. So we, we only see glimpses of it. 
So in this lifetime, yet we won't fully know and comprehend the love of God in this lifetime. We won't. But now we can still catch glimpses. We can still see a bit, a bit like the moon reflecting the sun. That's what we can be like. We can, we can see that in our lives and we can shine in our lives the revelation that we do get through the love of God. And that's what I want you all to be. That's what I want you all to, to believe this morning. God's love will be so overwhelming in your life that we will just reflect it. We will just show the world. Because yes, sir, we only do things in part now. We do it in faith. Whenever we're with God, we will fully know and we will fully do. But until that day, we do stuff in faith. We do stuff in the hope. We do stuff in love because we care. And the greatest thing that we can ever do is love. The greatest thing you can ever let abound in your life is love. It is the greatest thing. That's what it says in the last verse. Faith, hope, and love. You can have faith that things will happen. You can hope that things will change. You can hope for the best situations. But no matter what happens, if you've got love, you've got all that you need. That is the greatest thing. Back at the start of the chapter, it says, if you don't have love, it's, it's pointless. But if you've got love, it's worth everything. It's priceless. So my hope this morning is that you will know the love of God and the love of God will abound in you and set you free. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you, thank you, God, that we can do nothing to accept this love, except accept it. God, we just thank you so much for the plans that you have. Thank you so much for the stuff that you've put in place. Thank you so much for building us up, encouraging us, challenging us. So God, we just pray that as we're challenged by the thought of love, that we will challenge ourselves to love you with all that we are, with all that we have, not just a part. God, may we love those who persecute us. May we love those who come against us. May we pray a blessing on them 10,000 times over. God, may we just spend all of our lives just looking for your love, finding it, and then when we find it, we show it to others, and we show the revelation of your love to all those around us. God, thank you that there's no measure to the amount of love that we can have to the amount of your love that we can understand. So God, I pray this morning that we will just know your love and walk in your love. Walk in the freedom that you've given us in your love. Come and have your way in us. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen, amen. Thank you, David.